Hi everyone, you're listening to Prime by Cortex. I'm your host and reviewer today, Kirby, and in this episode, I'll be giving my review of Tales of Zadia. Right off the bat, I'll tell you whether it's worth a buy, then I'll go over what's in the book as a whole, though not necessarily in great mechanical death like some of these episodes. Uh, plus, I'll give my own two cents uh, about things uh, here and there. Uh, spoiler alert, is largely a positive review. Before I do, I wanted to go over a couple points. For one, this isn't any sponsored review. I didn't get a review copy or anything. I got my PDF. The first day it dropped, my dead tree copy, something like a week later, and then paid for it like most everyone else. Second, I ran this only once and was a player a couple times, game with people of very mixed experience when it comes to Cortex in general. And then, of course, if you're new to listening to the show in general, I have a lot of experience doing Cortex Prime. And more specifically, I did start incorporating some of these mechanics and ideas in my personal game, which is Send the Elder Scrolls universe. With that out of the way, let's talk Tales of Zadia, which you might hear me refer to as Tox throughout the review. Bottom line up front, Tales of Zadia is a powerful introduction to Cortex Prime and is a more accessible intro to the game system as a whole. The game itself has been tweaked to work for the setting, and I believe it will generally make a great set of bones for any fantasy setting beyond Tales of Zadia. I wholeheartedly recommend the book, regardless of whether or not you're a fan of the Dragon Prince series, especially if you're wanting a more streamlined presentation when it came to learning Cortex Prime rules. This book is just chock full of actual play examples that I think can be very helpful for anyone learning Cortex for the first time. Tales of Zadia, for those who don't know, is set in the world of Dragon Prince, uh, an animated TV series featuring several flavors of elves, dragons, and magic. The book comes as a standalone deal. You do not need to buy the Cortex Prime handbook in order to run this game. And with that said, this is very much worth a buy. Now that does beg the question, can I just look at the character sheet and run the game from the Cortex Prime handbook? Yes and no. Technically could, and it wouldn't destroy your experience. However, you're going to be missing out on a lot of tweaks that make the game feel like a Dragon Prince experience. Even the basic rules have changed. Some of its minor, like how assets referred to as temporary assets, are typically only good for one test or contest uh, or one role in the challenge, whereas in the Prime Handbook it is typically good for an entire scene. Then you have bigger changes to core mechanics like how you take stress for every failure, whereas in the main handbook, that's firmly in the GM's discretion. In any case, you're taught how to play Cortex Prime and are given mountains of examples of what a given mechanic looks like during gameplay, usually in the same page that you're introduced to that mechanic. The game doesn't just give us a spin on old mechanics, however, as it does introduce new mechanics and ideas. Some of these include how to handle magical items, a new type of narrator character called a catalyst, and a new way to handle challenges through the aptly named challenges mechanic, as well as just painting a very good cortexified approach to many common fantasy tropes like how magic works, I previously mentioned magical items, the differences between elves and humans, etc. Additionally, as far as what's in the book, you're also given character journals for existing characters from the show 
as well as an entire adventure. My character journal is what they refer to uh, character sheets as. The book itself has a very nice book feel, in my opinion. Weird to say, I, I guess, but I appreciate a good quality cover with a nice feel, and you have that here. It's also a very beautiful cover. I will say that uh, <laughs> if you haven't checked out The Dragon Prince, the cover itself is uh, kind of a bit of a spoiler, but I, I don't think it would ruin your enjoyment of Dragon Prince if you were to check out the show after picking up this game. Uh, which, speaking of, you don't need to have seen the show to play and run this game as is and in the setting. The book also covers a lot of the fluff, a lot of the lore, as it were, from the Dragon Prince and gives a overarching view of like what stuff is like in the setting uh, and does a really good job of that and also like just refreshing you as to what happened the last few seasons uh, and it's all canon uh, I think that also includes any new ideas and concepts that they introduced there which uh, I'm sure they ran through uh, the creators or representatives of the creators whoever's handling the uh, IP brand management I suppose and it also covers a lot of stuff that happened not necessarily in great detail to where it spoils the show uh, outright for you, but all, all the tales, all the pre-written stories assumes takes place after the events of the last season. Uh, so it does touch on that. Now to circle back to the book itself, the paper quality is great. It doesn't come with bookmark ribbons that other games might, but it does come with a code to activate the digital tools and copy on talesofzadia.com uh, where you can then search stuff. It's also well indexed. Now you might be asking what doesn't this book have? Is this like D&D or similar games that split up things that you need to run the game out? One thing, especially if you're coming from Pathfinder, D&D, and similar tragedy games, uh, to know is that this isn't all a competing book. You don't even need the Prime Handbook, as previously mentioned, and it has everything you need to play. I will say, it doesn't have a traditional bestiary. Those of you who have already done Cortex games before probably aren't surprised by this. Uh, you don't have stat blocks here. There's no a whole uh, chapter where has a bunch of statistics for various monsters or NPCs. That said, there are pages and pages of NPCs and uh, creatures in the world of Zadia. It just doesn't necessarily give you traits or any particular special effects unless they're catalysts. But let's talk about that for a minute. So there is a character binary here, which does take me to the most ever slightest critique about the game, uh, which I'll get to here in a minute, but you only have minor characters or catalysts. Technically, challenges with a capital C fits in the middle here too. So although the book talks about all these different creatures you might find in Zadia, your minor characters, as they are in regular Cortex handbooks, only comes with a couple of traits. If you want a fuller journal, a fuller character sheet as it were, you're then dealing with catalysts, which are characters who have a sheet that like a player characters, except they replace all attributes with a single shifting catalyst die. That doesn't necessarily mean that you couldn't have a catalyst as a big monster to plop down in front of the players, but catalysts are characters that are meant to be interacted with. If you really want to see the full beauty of it, would be a recurring character type. So you could say, have a whole tale about a rampaging giant scorpion thing, and you could hypothetically set that up to be a catalyst. As it stands, most of the catalysts in the book are humans or elves. There is one kraken-like creature that is done up as a catalyst, and that character is intelligent enough to interact with characters in a way that it's not just mindless carnage. So what am I exactly critiquing here? While I absolutely love this mechanic, I love 
what the catalyst slash minor character binary is doing to my own session planning. I just think that existing mechanics and ideas from the main handbook could have been introduced here to spruce things up. You see, when you're setting up challenges, which are a pool of dice representing a situation like fighting monsters, working through an entire week of backdoor politics in human kingdoms, or trying to find a book in a library that is currently being flooded by sand, there's a lot of coloring that's going to be there just purely by the situation. I understand that. The players take an action and you describe what it looks like in terms of the challenge pool beating them or what it means for the players to knock out a die out of the challenge. But imagine you have a situation where you set up a challenge where the PCs are battling off some human soldiers to protect an elven village. And then down the road in that same session, they're fighting the elite guard so they can reach the general to talk some sense into them. This is where things can potentially get kind of samey, which is a common complaint people have of universal systems and games that try to handle things the same way. It's here where I would love to see a formal introduction in the talks book for scene distinctions or special effects unique to the scene or challenge to allow for a twist. These are ideas that are already in the Cortex Prime handbook, and I think it would have just been a nice little cherry on top of an already great action-oriented mechanic. And like I said, that is perhaps my only critique that I can think of for the Tox presentation of Cortex. Not a big deal at all. Now, what about the other things in the book? Is that really all the bad I have to say about Tales of Zadia? Well, yes, actually. When Tales of Zadia was first announced and they were doing their streams talking about some new approaches they were taking and they released the primer rules, I had more skepticism then. A lot of that was alleviated when I started to play the game and when we finally got the final release. For example, I previously didn't love that they had announced that I was going to be stress only. No complications at all. I think the why is heavily reflected in the episode I just did on complications, but in a nutshell, I think complications color things so well that I can imagine doing a game without it, even if I was running a game that had stress trackers. Now that we're here with Tox, though, I kind of get it now. Stress in Tox specifically plays a huge role in growing characters. Tales of Zadia does use the growth pool mechanic, and stress dice are going to make up roughly half of those pools. A key thing here is that you only get stress as growth dice if another character helps you recover that stress, and I think that's just beautiful, to be honest. Imagine you're rocking angry stress. You're trying to take care of it on your own by practicing uh, against a dummy. You're, you're whacking it with a sword, and you failed your own recovery roll. Because you can still make your own recovery roll, you just can't grow from that. Melly's character comes out, offers to spar with you, and you and Melly either roleplay this out a little bit or just do it up as a vignette about how you spend the next 30 minutes sparring. And then finally, Melly makes the recovery roll. You drop the anger die and someone gets it for their growth pool. Alternatively, maybe Josh's character is a cook who has a special effect for recovering stress through good food. We have a little vignette uh, that Josh themselves set where they whip up your favorite meal and you and Josh's character have a heart-to-heart -heart talk. And then a recovery roll happens. In either case, we have this beautiful and what I think is an organic moment uh, happen that doesn't always happen at a lot of tables. Because let's be frank, 
having growth and stress and no complications just all kind of feeds into developing that naturally. A player can look at their neighbor's sheet and when you all are around the campfire or at a nice tavern and the narrator asks, what do we do now? A player has a good idea of offering up a scene themselves because they know so-and-so next to them has some stress that they need to recover. So they start talking that out. They start talking about like what they could be doing for that character. Now, many tables do this without such a mechanic. We see it at our home games. We see it on highly popular actual plays that may or may not involve uh, professional voice actors. But to give it mechanical weight, not only enriches the experience that much more, but let's tables where we don't necessarily have professional a- actors or writers start to incorporate that when previously they maybe didn't. That's my review of talks. I might do some specific episodes where I drill more into some of these things. I'm also heavily incorporating this right now in my Elder Scrolls campaign, though it's not a one-for-one build. If there's some interest, I'll maybe do a GM diary on how Tales of Zedia works for other fantasy settings and what a lot of these mechanics are doing for my game that I didn't previously have with my original Elder Scrolls build, which uh, my Elder Scrolls build is a bit of a hot mess to begin with, but (laughs) Tox is helping out with that, I think. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Discord. All of those links are in the episode notes. Till next time, keep it rolling.